So I'm now joined by Daniel Lawrence-Taylor. So Daniel, I'm going to start off by asking what could be a simple question, but could also be the most complex question you could ask another human being. How are okay. you? Uh, how am I? That's a tricky one. Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm really, really well. Yeah, it's been good. It's cold. But apart from that, I'm good. I asked you on because of Time Wasters, which I saw recently, and it was just amazing. How did that project come to be? It started, I think it started at the beginning of 2015, so quite a while ago. It, it might even mean 14, but I was doing another show called Cockroaches, which was for ITV2 as well. And I was working with the same production company that made Time Wasters. And whilst I was working on it, I had this show, this idea in my head. And because, I mean, you've seen it, it's about a a jazz band that goes back in time to 1920s just because it's such a weird idea i was like i can't really pitch this on paper i'm I'm just gonna have to write it so i ended up just writing it in a couple of days just a 30-page script which was you know if you write a script in two days it's going to be shocking but it kind of gets the idea of like the kind of characters and the world that i'm trying to create so i kind of put that together gave it to my producer and then loads of time went by, <laughs> and then I found out the reason why he didn't read it is because he said it would have been awkward if he read it, and it was awful, and then we were still working on the show together. <laughs> so he avoided it. And then luckily he came to me and was like, oh, actually, I actually really enjoyed it. It was good. So we met up, started talking about it, and then, again, a similar thing where we both thought there's no point trying to write a treatment. It's just a good idea if we work up the script so we can send that to a channel. So we did that, worked up the script, sent it to ITV. They really liked it. Then they gave us um, a bit of money to develop it some more and do a read through at the end of the year, which we did. They really enjoyed it. So they commissioned a pilot, did that. And then off the back of the pilot, we got the series. And then that's that's what you saw. What was the whole casting process like for that? Because you you didn't actually all know each other, but it comes across the friendship shines on screen. Ah, good. What what was that process like? How's it to select people that are going to play your friends? Yeah, I mean the chemistry thing. I I suppose it's quite odd. Like, like that's what I love the most, and I love the fact that that's what people enjoy the most—the cast and our chemistry. Because it was just coincidental that we all got on. Like when we did the first read through, I remember the commissioner came up and she was like, "Ah, it's so cool! Like you've been able to get all your friends in your show." And they're all really great. And I was like, I did not know them at all before this casting process. Basically, I just, like most things, just held auditions. So it was because we were casting a read-through, so your budget's a bit smaller. So we didn't see that many people. But when we saw, so when we saw Khadifa Jason and Samson for um, Horace, they came in. I think they were both the first people to audition for their roles. And they were just spot on. They were perfect. So we just, so it was like, great, perfect. And then when it came to casting Lauren, played by Ade, she was a bit harder to find because we found a few people, but no one was quite nailing it. And then Ade came along and she was just incredible. And then we did about two, maybe two, three tops read-throughs, like kind of chemistry reads to kind of... um uh, but more so for me to develop the script and kind of get the voices for the characters and stuff like that. So we did quite a few of those. Um, and then just over that process, we just kind of became 
like friends really and then off the back of that um uh, we just every time we met with each other we just laughed and joked and I think from what they told me they really loved the script and they were really up for doing it and so I think there was just like a mutual excitement that we all had about doing the show because it's you know it's it was a really as you can see like it's a fun it's a really fun show because it's, it's time travel and it's jazz and it's excitement and jumping around and running around and stuff like that. So I think everyone was just quite excited to do it. Did you find it difficult to balance writing time travel and a comedy? Because even though time travel isn't real, there are still rules that have been set down by previous projects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you'll notice in the first episode, like... I just, I kind of just chuck it out the window. Before I put pen to paper, I was just thinking about how to do that time travel thing. And funnily enough, it was working on Cockroaches, which does a similar thing where it just tells the audience to get on board or don't. So in Time Wasters, it's literally Horace runs in and says, guys, I found a time machine. And we go to the time machine and it's run by this homeless guy called Homeless Pete. And we go back in time and we literally cut out all the science or, you know, the, all the stuff that other show, you know, other movies that have done so well, you know, Back to the Future does it so well where it talks about like uh, plutonium and getting it from the Russians and all of that stuff to, to power this thing that has to go at a certain speed and a certain, you know, all of those things. I was like, you know what, that's too dense and you can't get across that in 23 minutes. So I just said, look, it's a bunch of characters who, go into a lift operated by a homeless guy and it works either get on board or don't and i think you know i i like to think that people got on board they just accepted it for what it was that just allowed the the story to just go into it so we didn't have to do too much backstory i'm just going to go right the characters are back in time now let's see how they survive can you actually play music any musical instruments <laughs> that's a very good question <laughs> um not in the slightest no that's no that's a lie actually because the the idea came from i was actually learning to play the trumpet when i had the idea of a jazz band i was doing relatively well and then i had the idea and i was like oh wouldn't it be cool to write a sitcom and because it was going so well i ended up having to give up the trumpet in order to write a sitcom about me playing the trumpet so <laughs> i i long story short no i can't i think i can i can probably play i could probably play like happy birthday and when i say play i mean like i'd have to tell you it's happy birthday and then when you're listening to it you'd be able to make out it's happy birthday i wouldn't be able to play it and you'd be like oh that's happy birthday but you know i can make i can make noise out of a trumpet Ironically, you need a time machine to give yourself the hours to learn to play the trumpet. <laughs> oh, like you wouldn't believe. It is one of the hardest instruments to play because, you know, if you play anything, like if you're playing the piano, you just need to be awake. And, you know, when you press the key, the key will make the sound you want. Whereas a trumpet, you can be so out of tune, no matter how hard you try, you can be so out of tune, even though you, you think you're doing the same thing that you were doing the last time. Um, yeah, it's very, very annoying. Maybe, maybe I, I keep saying to myself, I'll pick it up again. Cause I have actually got a trumpet that my family bought for me on my birthday. <laughs> cause uh, I, I know, cause I was, I was determined to, to learn it. And now like all that money has gone to waste cause it's just sitting up on my cupboard. Maybe you'll learn by series two. 
Yeah, that's that's my idea. But I know what's going to happen. Like, I will, <laughs> I'll say that. But then, as usual, the writing will get too stressful. And I will stop and then go on to set, still not knowing how to play a trumpet. What's your writing process like? Do you sort of sit down at a dedicated time of the day? Or do you just kind of wait for inspiration to hit before you start writing? I suppose it's a bit of everything, really. I mean, some people have set ways of writing. I think because it was the first thing I ever wrote that was so big. And also, like, a lot of time pressure as well. Um, Because when I wrote the pilot, I was, you know, you're given all the time in the world of sorts. But then when it comes to a series, it was like, oh, this is really great. Can we have it by next Tuesday? So everything kind of goes out of the window and you're just you're just trying to cram it in any way you can. So some days would be quite leisurely where, you know, I'd write just, you know, a good five, six hours. But then, you know, there'll be times when you've got to get drafts in and my my producer and no it was mainly my producer my script editor who later became my co-writer she didn't actually mind but my producer he minded the fact that i (laughs) i would write until like 6 a.m knowing that we'd all be meeting at 10 (laughs) a.m and so i'd send it to him at 6 a.m and then he'd moan that he'd have to wake up early to read it and my (laughs) script editor would be like Daniel was up until 6 a.m. writing and you can't get up early <laughs> just to read 30 pages. Uh, so that always made me laugh. Uh, so obviously you're writing and acting in this. Was it difficult to be subjective and objective at the same time? A little bit, yeah. Of sorts. Like um, it, You run into all types of problems, I think. Sometimes you're a bit like, oh, it's, it's delivery. So I put stuff on paper, but... And I'd be like, oh, don't worry, it'll be delivery. And then because you're also presenting it to, you know, your producer, your execs, the channel and so on and so forth. Sometimes you can't, you know, they're a bit like, no, that's just not funny. And I'm like, trust me, I will make it hilarious. But then you feel arrogant because you're a bit like, oh, maybe (laughs) how that sounds a bit cocky. Uh, But then on the flip side, you know, sometimes um, you do you do worry where you're a bit like, oh, can I deliver on these things? And yeah, it's a tricky. If truth be told, I don't I don't know. It it became a massive blur. If truth be told, like because you're writing up until the very last minute, and you're even writing when you're on set as well. Um, so there would be times when I'd film a scene and then come off set and then meet, talk to my producer and you're writing stuff either for later that day or for the following day because certain things are not working or because you didn't get a certain location or so on and so forth. So it, weirdly enough, it became a, a massive blur. <laughs> so I can't, to be tr- truthfully, I can't answer that question. Oh, wow. <laughs> you handled the issue of racism really sensitively in the show. Was that a difficult balance to get right? Yes and no, because it was difficult. It was a variety of reasons. Difficult because everyone deals with race in a different way. And also, especially in Britain as well, like uh, we have a very different approach. Like a lot of people always say, like, how comes American do like, like, um shows and comedies about race so much better than britain does and i think it's because america is much more open about race and talking about race than britain is so there's something that you have to be kind of careful of and it's also down to the individual as well so there was a lot of things and because i'm the only i was the only black person behind 
the scenes, it was a bit, there was like a lot of pressure on me to make sure that I was getting it right. So weirdly enough, there was a few drafts, which some people didn't actually mind, but I was a bit like, you know what, this is a bit, even for me, this is a bit too close for the bone. I might get rid of it. Um, but then I also had the cast as well. And I was, I always, always spoke to the cast and I was like, right, this is the line. Have I stepped over it or, you know, so they were quite helpful as well, but it was, it was quite difficult in that sense. And then on other, and, and on the other hand, it was, it was just quite fun to do because no one had done it before. And also because it's all set in the 1920s, it allowed, it allowed me to take more risks um, than say if I did it in the present day, I think people would have been a little bit more uncomfortable if it's some of the, the, the social commentaries I was making, people would have felt a bit more, would have felt uncomfortable in the present day where I think there's a bit of distance in the 1920s. So we can all kind of laugh at that and believe like we've moved on heaps and bounds, even though some of it (laughs) we haven't, it's exactly the same, but I think it allowed people to kind of go, Oh, well that was back then. So we don't need to worry about it. Great thing about sci-fi is it always kind of holds a mirror up at society, but does it in such a way it kind of curves the mirror and people think, oh, we've moved on. Like when Gene Roddenberry did Star Trek, he was commentating on the 1960s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what you achieved here. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. I mean, episodes like, I mean, my favorite episode is episode four where Lauren like takes over the ban and tries to become the Black Queen of England and then (laughs) kind of gets overthrown by um rose who kind of makes the wu-tang clan into like an all-white band um and then goes on to massive success um and i love that episode because it's it's just a commentary on you know how you know white artists can't do sell black music more than black people and it's just about that our whole idea of cultural appropriation and stuff like that and it i i love the fact that it kind of played with that because it's something that we're kind of going through now do you get what i mean that all comes across oh good i'm glad yeah. i'm really ple- i'm really really pleased with how it's come out and and just the response that it's kind of got and i'm glad like you know you people like you know you and loads of other people have kind of seen what what I was trying to do and it and it's and it's come across and that's it's quite it feels quite nice and quite rewarding you've had a real varied career mostly in comedy what is it about comedy that attracts you to that genre <laughs> that's a good question I don't I don't know weirdly enough when I when I when I first got into comedy it was it was never my intention I think um my so I have a comedy partner called Eric Jackson and we did a double act called Ginger and Black and we went to university together and I always thought when I first got into like the arts um I I thought I was just going to be a straight actor and when I was at university I was trying my best to find all the play like all the serious plays but for some reason, I kept on gravitating to the comedies. Like people kept on going, "Oh, come do, come do this comedy show, come do that comedy show." And I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I'll come do that." But I'm going to also audition for like these dramatic pieces where I've got to like drown my baby or something like that. But so I kept on gravitating to comedies, and I was really enjoying it. And then my comedy partner, she said to me, she was putting together an Edinburgh show, 
a comedy Edinburgh show and she came, she told me to come and audition, auditioned, really enjoyed it. She really liked me. We put together a group. There was five of us did a show after we did that, got back to London. I was like, right now, now it's definitely time for me to go and be a serious actor. <laughs> when found out how much drama schools were, then was like, then also found, found out how much drama schools were, then saw how many unemployed actors there were. And I was like, you know what? This is, <laughs> this is not my life. So I literally just ditched it and I, I started to try and get into playwriting. I was like, you know what? I think I might, I think I might start writing. And then she just said to me, oh, do you want to start up a double act? And I was like, okay, cool. I'll do that whilst trying to become a playwright. And then we just started to do this double act and it started to go really well. And weirdly enough, my heart wasn't massively in it. I enjoyed it, but my heart wasn't in it. I always thought I was going to go back to playwriting. And then the more we did it and the more the more we did it, we kind of started to move up the ladder, got ourselves an agent, started to get a little bit known as well. Then our agent started to put us up for acting jobs and comedy jobs. And weirdly enough, like I started to become an actor again and doing comedy. And then it was just doing so much comedy in which I just... I fell in love with comedy. It was never something I wanted to do or it was just something I was I was good at and 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 opportunities were coming up and I was like, "Oh, well, you should see these opportunities through because you you're really really fortunate to be getting these opportunities." And then I just yeah, and then I just kind of fell in love with it and then I just had no interest in going back that way. I was like, "Right, comedy's my thing. Like it's 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 quite a good feeling to go for an audition and someone going, oh, you're great. Come and be in this thing and being like, oh, I didn't, I didn't actually think I was that good. Oh, okay. Let me do it. And then, yeah. And then slowly I just kind of fell in love with it. So it's quite a nice, it's quite a weird way to get into it, but I'm so glad that she kind of grabbed me and like got me into it. Cause I, I, yeah, I absolutely adore it. That's a really sweet story. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, it is the story. And like, I, I, I owe her a lot because, you know, I think we had so many brilliant years and she's still one of my best friends. I still see her all the time and we still write together and we don't do our live act anymore, but we've got a script commission together and, um, she, yeah, she's brilliant. So it's one of those relationships that's been going on for years and I'm hoping to kind of have it continue. Can you remember how old you were when you kind of realize you were a creative person yeah i suppose the when i realized i wanted to get into acting was probably was well, not probably i know for a fact i think my my best friend devon is still my best friend now we was at secondary school and he was like his dad was an actor and he was like i'm when i grow up i'm going to be an actor and i like i like the sound of it i was like yeah <laughs> yeah i'm going to be an actor too and it and it was literally from that moment where I decided to become an actor. And it annoys him now when I tell that story because he's a bit like, ah, I'm not, I'm not an actor. Like he, I mean, he's 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 enjoying life. He works for um, he works for uh, tour buses, um, but he gets annoyed because I <laughs> I basically took his dream. But that was that was the moment where yeah I decided to get into acting and then creative. I think I've always kind of done that because I've never been particularly academic. I always gravitated to plays and I did drama. I also did GCSE dance. I'm an excellent dancer. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I know. I think my school was the only, <laughs> the only place that did GCSE dance. Oh, and I was joking about being an awesome dancer. That 
I just I just chucked that in because I did GCC dance. Um, but I did GCC dance and I got a B. I, I, I thought I did quite that's well. Good. That's yeah, good. thank you. That's that's what that's what I always say. But people are like, oh, come on. So yeah, so I got. Uh, so I always I've always done like creative stuff, and I and as a child. I always made stuff, but like most people, you always make stuff. But I, I think I would always, I would either do something like tomorrow if it all fell apart, I'd have to find something else creative to do, or or be a cleaner. Those are the two <laughs> things. I'd have to be creative or find a job in which I don't really need to think. That I there's no middle ground for me. I wouldn't kind of go, oh, maybe I can be like a banker or a teacher or like a, 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 a no it's it's <laughs> creative or cleaner what did you learn about the writing process with time wasters and did you learn anything that you'll be taking to your next project so much so much i think i learned about like god where's the start it was just loads i mean the main things that's off the top of my head is structure like i think i've always kind of roughly known structure but most of my sh- Structure change training would have been in theater and stuff where it's all about like, you know, it's like interpretation. Whereas in sitcom writing, there's a structure and you stick to it and you don't. And if you're going to break away from it, there has to be a really good reason why. And I had to learn stuff like that. And and also like just doing like from doing my live stand up shows or doing Edinburgh shows and stuff like that. I've I've always found fun in like just finding a bunch of funny stuff and putting it all together and and it will work but again you it, structure is about building things and like uh my script editor who she became my co-writer um during the series um she she was really good at just kind of helping me do that and like building on characters as well and um you know and also like just it's 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 a collaboration as well like i always thought like it's about me and my art but it's a collaboration because you know i went from either like 10 minute shorts or like my edinburgh show which is relatively you know it's not i mean edinburgh shows it's no money uh 10 minute show shorts that end up on tv you know they're you know a tens of thousands of pounds but when you're dealing with sitcoms you know you're going into like hundreds of thousands and you're talking even millions you know so you're so it's not just you you've got a producer you've got execs you've got channels you've got and you know you've got an audience that you're making work for and you've you've got target audiences and you're working to ad breaks and what's on at the moment and you know there's all these questions which you've got to answer. And I, I think it was like a proper wake up call when I went into it where I was just like, Oh wow, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot to contend with. And so that was the biggest shock. And so I think I'm still waiting to hear from ITV to whether there would be another one or not. But like, I think like going into series two, being able to take all those things would definitely make this new series so much easier to write. Cause there were so many like sleepless nights of going like, uh, am I, have I done this right? And did that because you're also dealing with your own doubts as well. Like not only are you ensuring that the people who are giving you money is happy, but you're also having to ensure that you're happy as well. And it's like, it's a horrible thing to say sometimes, but like 
there's certain things where you do have to find a happy medium because it can't be all you, but at the same time, it can't be all them. So it's like finding that right medium. So that plays with you as well from going from an art form of like stand up or Edinburgh shows in which it's 100% you to then go in, oh, actually, other people have a say in this. And it's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily bad. It's just that they know what they want as well as you know what you want, that's what the collaboration is. And it's like an unwritten contract that you have to do. And also, you know, especially as a first-time writer, you know, if I had written loads of stuff, I'm pretty sure I could have probably walked into the room and gone, right, this is what I'm doing. You have to take it or leave it. And then probably, and then go, oh, well, it's you who's done all those other things. Well, of course, do it your way. But with me, it was like, what have you done? Oh, I played to 50 people in a box in Edinburgh for 30 days. Oh, right, well... No, you can't do what you want to do. So, you know, it's finding that medium. I like to think when you do watch the show, you kind of go, oh, actually, even though you've all come to a medium, it's a good medium that you've all gone to, you've all come to. And that's what, that, that was, that was a massive relief because there were certain moments where I was like, oh, was this the medium that I was going for? And then trusting people and kind of going, oh, actually, I'm good at what I'm doing, but you're also good at your, what you're doing and you're also good at what you're doing. And we've all been able to kind of come together to put this thing together and it's worked and it's 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 yeah it's quite a satisfying thing but yes i've i've <laughs> I, that was a very long way of me saying but yes i've learned a lot and i think it's not only going to help if i do another series but for any projects coming up in the future <laughs> i just feel so sorry for you for all those sleepless nights oh <laughs> weird enough the the good thing about it is that every like everyone goes through it so like some of my closest friends so jimmy dimitri he's doing a show for e4 that's coming out soon similar thing one of my best friends is the producer of fleabag and what she was telling me about like phoebe waller bridge and like i've got so many friends who have had tv shows or doing tv shows or i've got either actors or writers producers commissioners like it's a very small network but you all know one another and every single like birthday party or industry party or industry get together or just bumping into people in the same places you realize that it everyone goes through it there's not a single person that kind of walks into a room and like writes for nine to five and then goes home and then has like a really pleasant sleep everybody everybody does it and i think that's what i think that's a comforting thing the fact that we're that we're all tortured and we're all going through hell the fact that we're all doing it together it makes it makes the whole process a lot better i guess as a writer you never really stop rewriting yeah exactly and you don't i mean up until the moment that they it's not until you do a picture lock where it's over like as soon as because i'd been working on it solidly for like three years and then then going straight into filming where i'm still writing it and by this point, I'm already exhausted. And then at the end of it, when it goes into the edit, I'm still getting phone calls going, oh, there's this massive silent bit. I'm going to send you a document. Can you write down a bunch of ADR lines that an actor can say whilst the camera's not on them? So <laughs> it's like that process where it never quite ends. And it's not until there's a picture lock where at the end of that, where they're like, right, it's locked. And you're like, great. 
because there's lit- there's literally nothing you can do anymore. It's rewriting, <laughs> rewriting, and rewriting. And then even when it comes on TV, uh, like watching it back, and I'm watching it back, going, oh, "How did that make it there?" And I'm sitting there trying to rewrite lines <laughs> for bits. It's like there's nothing you can do, Daniel. It's literally going out live on ITV. I guess the pressure must be even greater now in the age of social media, where so mm. many people can instantly just tell you how they feel. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, it's bizarre. Like. I mean, that's another thing I've learned is that I will never slag off a TV show again because knowing how much work goes into it and knowing also how easily it can be, it can go wrong or it can be derailed or just anything could go wrong. But what the thing I find hilarious is sometimes when you go on social media and luckily by the sounds of it, we didn't get any for time wasters, which is good, but I've acted in shows where it's been literally a minute and people are like, oh, what is this big pile of steam and rubbish? Da, 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 da. And it's like, it's been 60 seconds. Like, you've not <laughs> been eat. There's, no, there's not 60 seconds. You don't even get any. There's not an ounce of story yet. And you're already slagging it off. Um, so, yeah, there's a pressure. But I suppose you just have to you just have to get that out of your mind. And I mean, when I was writing, I came off of social media and I've started writing again and I've not come off of social media, but I've taken it off my phone um, because it can be consuming. And even though that no one's talking about your show, sometimes in your feed, people start talking about just shows in general and your heart starts beating because you're a bit like, Oh God, what if they're going to say that about the show that I'm currently writing? Um, oh. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> social media can be a dangerous place, but at the same time it can be wonderful because I've had so many, the great side is I've had so many people at me about the show and it's just been incredible. Like just, and it really, the fact that it's been three years in the making, I almost wonder, I'm almost thinking that it may be four, but whatever, however long it's been many years and, and having all those comments come through has just been incredible. So that's that's definitely the plus side of social media. Do you prefer acting or writing, or does each kind of job scratch a different kind of itch? Acting. <laughs> there's, no, <laughs> there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no two ways about it. It's definitely acting. Maybe even acting on someone else's project because you just say your lines and then you're done. Oh, definitely. It's so fun. I was having a conversation with my friend the other day is that when, when you do act in someone else's show is that like when it's the end of the day. So if finish filming finishes at seven, no matter what has been done, you go home. Like there's nothing they can do. The most they can come up to you and say, we've not got everything. Can we keep you for like another 20 minutes? That's the most that they could probably say. And it's a wonderful feeling to know that you can go home and none of the stresses is on you. Whereas when you write a show, or especially even if you not only write it, but you create the show as well. And, you know, acting in Time Wasters and I'm standing there at like six o'clock knowing there's another scene to be done. <laughs> and so me as the <laughs> me as an actor is going, oh God, I'm gonna, this is going to be such a shit scene to act in because I'm, we're going to have to rush it. And then there's me as a writer going, oh my God, <laughs> 
this, do, am I going to have to start cutting out lines or like changing lines so we can get through it or that we don't have so many camera setups? And then me as a creator going, if we don't get this shot, this whole episode is not going to make any fucking sense. So there's like three layers of just like, oh my God, whenever six o'clock hits, it, the most stressful, <laughs> the most stressful thing in the world. But all funny games. Yeah. <laughs> So is there any news on the DVD release yet? Uh, No, not yet. So I think um, this is what I'm still waiting to find out. So I think my uh, I'm going in to talk with them all uh, next week. I'm hoping to find out about Series 2 hopefully this week or next week. And then I'm also going to be talking about all the other bits and pieces and so on and so forth. So I think they've I, I don't I think they have got a distributor but i don't know the ins and outs of it so i've got to go in and find all of that stuff out i guess that's a whole other stressful side of the industry that didn't exist like 20 30 years ago yeah exactly exactly so i mean i've weirdly enough i tried to remove myself as much as possible when all of those kind of conversations even though it's very important i tried to remove myself from those conversations i don't know why i just always get a bit like I don't know what I'm expecting to hear for them to turn around and go, there's not a distributor. And then I start panicking or something like that. But I know there is one, so I um, I just need to go find out now. Oh, I can't wait to own it. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, that means more money for me. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, Daniel, I've had a lovely time talking to you, and I'm, I'm going to let you go now. But thank you so much for doing this. I've had a lovely chat. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's been really, really nice. Can't wait to hear it, man. Thank you for having me. All right, next time we'll do it over a pint or something. Yeah, that sounds good. Definitely, definitely. When Series 2 happens. Definitely. I'll come to the launch party. Oh, perfect. Sounds good. (laughs) All right, cheers, mate. Thank you. Uh, Cheers, dude. Take care.